Well, we're starting a new series today. It's actually a five-part series, and uh, today kind of like a prelude. It's kind of like a special edition. We're really kicking off the series next week, but um, today we're going to talk, talk about Jesus, the overcomer. Next week, we're going to pivot and talk about the life of Joseph and how he overcame adversity, how he overcame temptation, discouragement, stuff like that. And so we're going to talk about the overcomer um, in, a, in this next four or five weeks. But today, we're going to talk about the great overcomer who is Jesus Christ. And, and that's where we're kind of headed today, obviously, because it's Easter Sunday. We should talk about Jesus because he is the conqueror who, um, who defeated death in the grave Satan, and, uh, and so we're going to look at that today for sure. But before we do, um, I want to kick off with a, with a little flashback moments of my life, uh, important moments of my life. It's when I was in middle school, 10, 11, 12 years old, you know, uh, Saturday morning. Um, when you were a kid, Saturday morning is when you watched the best cartoons. It was the cartoon hours on Saturday morning. Uh, we didn't have Netflix. We didn't have all that stuff. If you wanted to watch cartoons, you had to actually get up. You had to watch cartoons. Uh, but then I got older, and, and I discovered that at 10 o'clock was the WWF wrestling hour. I mean, how many of you men, maybe some of you ladies would say, man, I remember the WWF on Saturday morning. That's right. And uh, we discovered that, me and my two brothers, and we, we discovered this wonderful world of wrestling. You know, I, I, I've seen some famous people like Andre the Giant. Man, he was the giant. He was tall. You know, and then you had the Junkyard Dog. How I many of you remember the Junkyard Dog? Man, it was awesome. And Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. Or Rowdy Rowdy Piper. I don't know, one of those names. He was a crazy guy, right? He was from Scotland, supposedly. Randy the Macho Man Savage. Hulk Hogan. I mean, all these great names. One of my favorites was Jimmy the Superfly Snooker. I mean, you couldn't go wrong with being Jimmy Snooker the Superfly. And, uh, and his deal was uh, he liked to fly. He would climb up to the top, to the corner of the mat, you know, and get up there, and he would fly as high as he can and land on somebody. And, uh, and so these, these were my favorite characters. These were my Saturday mornings. You know, adventures. And of course, me and my two brothers, without fail, every Saturday morning, my mom would have to run into the family room to turn off the TV about halfway through the show because me and my two brothers, we turned into the wrestlers. It was total mayhem, you know, going on into the living room. And uh, I mean, here I am, I'm, I'm channeling my favorite wrestler, my brothers are too. I'm the super fly jumping off the couch to land on my brothers. I mean, we were about to kill each other in the name of fun, in the name of fun. One of the more famous professional wrestlers was a man, was a villain actually. His name was Rick, the nature boy player. I've got a picture of him. And, uh, and this is great, because I had it last night, and someone came to me last night and said, hey, listen, I got the, I got the championship belt, or one of the championship belt, which is autograph on it. And I said, really? And he actually brought it to me. It's right here, look at this. Isn't this awesome? Woo! You know, this is it. And by the way, that's how he rolled. You know, Ric Flair had a sound, and his sound went like this. Woo! 
You know, you got to do it with the eyes, okay? You got to get the eyes wide open and you go, all right? Y'all want to do it, don't you? You know what? I'll give you permission. If you want to do it with me, come on. Woo! All right. And he had his belt. I mean, this was him. I mean, this was his in the glory. Rick, the nature boy Flair. He was a villain. Nobody liked Rick Flair. Everyone booed him when he came in. And he thrived on the booze that everyone gave him. And I'm going I'm to put this back because it kind of reminds me of when I was living in Pensacola and all the rednecks wore belts like this. <laughs> all right. Hey, here's the thing. One of, one of Ric Flair, one of Ric Flair's maneuver was called the sleeper hold. The sleeper hold. It's kind of like a stranglehold. It gets you in a grip. It gets your head in a person's head in a grip. And, 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 and I, the idea of the sleeper hold is to, is to make that person, you know, to go unconscious. And then he's out. He's out for the game. And one time I watched a very big fight. It was Ric Flair versus the Hulkster, Hulk Hogan. There's a picture here. I got a picture of them. I mean, this is them fighting. All right? And this is Ric Flair. He got the Hulk in a sleeper hold. And the announcer, they're like, oh, man, it's curtain time for the Hulk Hogan. Because once you got in the sleeper hold by Ric Flair, it was, it, you were done. And everybody thought, man, it's over for the Hulk. And me and my two brothers, I mean, we love Hulk Hogan. We were like, oh, no, Hulk, you got to break out of the sleeper hold. You got to wake up. And he was falling asleep. He was being knocked out. And the referee, they come over, they check on his vital signs, and they pick up his arms, and they lift it up really high, and the referee let go, and Holt's hand falls down to the canvas. You do that three times, game's over. And so that was one. They pick up Holt's hand again, and Holt's hand drops. Well, me and my two brothers said, oh, man, this is it. Got one more chance to wake up here. This is over. And, and so the referee picked up Holt's hand and he let go. And when he let go, Holt's hand went like this. It stopped in midair. We were going crazy. We said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's waking up. He's waking up. And then he started to shake his hand. He started to do this little thing. His eyes still closed. He still looked like he's knocked out. Then he got his hand. He's shaking. The crowd starts to get crazy. He goes like this to make the number one. He do this like this. And all of a sudden, his eyes went like this. Boom. And then Rip Flair, Rip Flair's like, what's happening here? What is going on? And the Hulkster all of a sudden grabbed his long flowing hair and whipped him down. Did a body slam, went down for the count. One, two, three, game's over. The Hulk Hogan won. Our boys, we were jumping on the couch. This was the greatest morning of our lives. The saddest moment of our lives is when we found out later on that wrestling was fake. That the whole thing was staged. It was awful when I found that out. But here's the reality. Although professional wrestling is staged, life isn't. Life's not staged. It's real. And I would say that all of us the past year went through the gauntlet of a stranglehold. 
a sleeper hold, if you would. Some of us went through the, I think all of us went through the stranglehold of a pandemic. And I think if I were to ask the question, how many of you would say that this was, your, that this was one of the toughest years of your family, you personally, that most of us would say, man, this was a tough, tough 12 months. We went through the stranglehold of a pandemic. Some of us are going through the sleeper hold of relational anxiety. Some of you are going through the pressure of finances, the financial pressure, the stranglehold, the sleeper hold of financial pressure, the stranglehold of stress at your job. Some of you are facing the stranglehold of health issues in your life, or maybe in someone's life that you love. Some of you are facing the stranglehold, or you went through the stranglehold, or maybe you still are. You're in the stranglehold of an addiction in your life. You're feeling the pressure of life. I think many of us were dealing with something. You're trying to process something, something that's heavy, something that just weighs you down. And no matter who you are, the strangleholds of life, it affects all of us. You know, from the child to the parent, from the homemaker to the executive. Bible said this about the anxiety and stress of life, the pressure of life. It's a verse that we can all connect with in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. It says, anxiety weighs down the heart. Weighs down the heart. And for sure, this past year was a very heavy year. We were weighed down. We were weighed down in ways that we could never imagine, never experienced before. We were way down in different ways. I mean, I remember a year ago, about this time, I was desperate for toilet paper. I mean, it was a pretty serious situation there. I mean, we can relate, right? And for some of us, it was worse than that. You went through the illness. You've lost someone. This year, this past year was challenging. And although last year, this past year was a tough, tough year, I want to talk about the most stressful, the heaviest, the, the most pressured moment of all time. And that's the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus found himself literally, literally in the stranglehold of Satan's grip. He found, Jesus found himself in the stranglehold of death as he hung on the cross. He found himself in a stranglehold of the eternal fate of mankind as he lay dead in a tomb. And the Son of God, he came to this earth and he lived for 33 years. A perfect man, hated by religious leaders because Jesus was just upsetting the, the apple cart of religion when he showed up. They falsely accused Jesus and they had him crucified on a Roman cross. But this was all part of God's plan to save us from a lost eternity in hell. And Jesus hung on the cross for six long hours. 
six long hours, he was in a stranglehold, bloodied, naked, hardly recognizable, and he died. He didn't pass out, he didn't fall into a coma, he didn't, you know, didn't fall into a deep sleep. Jesus died. The living hope that we sang about this morning was not living no more. And they took his body down from the cross and they laid him in a tomb. They rolled the stone over the tomb and in silence. And for everybody, the story was over. It was done. In the eyes of Satan, he won. He finished him off. He knocked out Jesus in the stranglehold of his grip. But then Sunday came, three days later. And guess what? I, I love this statement. I say it almost every year, but it's on the screen. Nobody was expecting no body. I love this. Look at Matthew chapter 28. Verse number one. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Again, again, nobody was expecting nobody. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, gone to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. They passed out. The angel then said to the woman, hey, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He died. He was dead on the cross. He was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said he would. Come and see the place where he lay. Oh, man, Satan thought he won. Satan thought he had Jesus in his deadly sleeper hold. And the referee, man, they were doing the count. I mean, Jesus was out. They pick up Jesus' arm on Friday, and they drop it. Done. That was one. They pick it up again, the referee pick up the hand of Jesus on Saturday. Body decomposing. And they look over his hand, and Jesus' hand fell down. That was two. One more count, he's out. And they lift his hand on the third day. And when the referee let go of the hands of Jesus while Satan got him in his grip, when they let go, Jesus' hand stayed. It shook. He raised it up, number one, because he won the victory for you and for me. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 says. Oh, death. Where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, he broke the stranglehold of Satan. He broke the sleeperhold of sin. Jesus broke the stranglehold of death and the grave. I gotta take a breath here. Woo! Woo! 
Now for some of you, you're like, man, that's cool. The ancient story, that's great. Neat story that happened 2,000 years ago. But this is what you need to understand. Is that the Easter story never ended. In fact, the Easter story begins at the empty tomb. The story is still alive. It's still as powerful today as it happened 2,000 years ago. And the same power that resurrected Jesus from the stranglehold of death, it's the same power that you can find, that you can have access in Jesus today. You see, you don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to stay stuck in the strangleholds of life. You don't have to. You can experience freedom that can only be found in Jesus. Let me ask you, what stranglehold is holding you down today? What is it that's heavy on your heart? What's weighing you down? What guilt are you carrying? Maybe it's anxiety, stress. What, maybe you're like, Scott, I'm in, the middle, I'm in the middle of a big, big mess right now. My life is a mess, it's falling apart. And if that's you, I want you to understand this, that the Easter message is greater than the mess in your life. That's why we're here today to celebrate. That's why we're saying, because the Easter message is powerful. And whatever message you think you've got, the message of Easter is greater. I love Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus said, come to me, all you are weary and burdened. Feeling heavy? You feel weighed down? Jesus said, come to me, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. Some of you here, you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. Jesus called out to you and said, man, I want you to give it to me. I want you to give it to me. Because once you have Jesus in your life, he becomes greater. And you say, greater than, what do you mean greater, Scott? Greater than what? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, the Apostle John, he said, that, dear children, you're from God, and we have overcome them. Overcome them? Who's them? Them. We have overcome the world. We've, come, we've overcome everything that the world has thrown at us. And so we can overcome it. Why? Because the one who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. See, Jesus is our great overcomer. Jesus is our conqueror. He will help you overcome the struggles, the mess, the strangleholds of life. In fact, he will give you salvation that only he can give. He can overcome the sins in your life and give you freedom if you let him. And some of you right now, you're in a stranglehold, you're in a sleeper hold. Jesus said, come to me, and I help break that stranglehold of life off of you. And some of you right here, you say, Scott, I have no peace in my life. In fact, I don't even know Jesus. 
I hear the Easter story, I, you know, the message of Easter and what he did on the cross, he rose again. What does that mean for me? How can I find the peace that you're talking about? How can I find it? And as I close, I want to close with three important questions that you need to answer, and every person has had to answer the question. Question number one, why do I exist? Why do I exist? Why am I here? And we were made by God. We were made for God. We were made to have a relationship with God. See, God so loved you. He loves you so much. God made you for a purpose. There's no such thing as an accident. In fact, Ephesians said that we are created to be God's masterpiece, a one of a kind workmanship created by Christ Jesus. That, that's what we were made. We were made by God. We were made for God so that you and I could have a personal relationship with him. To have a relationship. But what's the problem? That's the second question. What's the problem? The problem is sin. Sin came into the world. Satan tempted Eve and Eve and Adam fell. The first man and woman. And ever since then, we were born to be sinners. All of us. All of us are born sinners. It comes so natural. No one ever, no one never had to teach you how to sin. You just did it. I have a little girl. No one, no one taught her how to lie. She just lies. Abigail, are you telling me the truth? Uh-huh. Abby. Uh-huh. Abigail. No. My son, I didn't have to teach him how to disobey me. He just did it. He knew how to do it. In fact, we all did. In fact, one of the first words that your kid says is the word no. no. <laughs> hey, we're all, we're all born sinners. And because of our sin, the Bible says that our sin separates us from God. In fact, there's a gulf, a gulf between us and a holy God. A God who never sinned, a God who can never see sin. That's how holy he is. He loves you. But on the other side of that great love, he's also holy. The holy God. And you cannot look at sin. And because of our sin, we have a problem. Our sin, we deserve eternal punishment in hell, separated from God for eternity. That's the problem. But what's the solution? And the solution is that Jesus came. He lived. He died and rose again. He paved a way. He made a way. He created a bridge between that gulf, between us and God. He created access. You say, okay, that's cool. What do I have to do? What's the solution? Number one, you got to admit that you're a sinner. You got to admit, you say, yep, I'm a sinner. No matter how good you might be, 
You have to realize, I am a sinner. I am a person in need of Jesus. I am a person that needs a savior. Because a savior is a person that saves us from something. And if you're saying, I don't need a savior, then you don't recognize the depravity of your situation. You don't realize that your sin has separated you from God. But we have to admit, no matter how good or how bad, that we're all sinners. We're all in the same boat. All of us. So we have to admit that you're a sinner. We have to believe that Jesus died for your sins. That while he was on the cross, he took your sins upon him. And we have to believe that he died on the cross. He took your place. He took your punishment. And then we have to believe that he rose again. We've got to accept that fact. We've got to believe that faith here that Jesus rose again for us. We have to, number three, accept God's wonderful gift. It's a gift. We have to receive the gift. And here's the situation with a lot of us here. Because no one wants, a lot of people struggle taking a gift from God. We, we feel like we've got to do something to earn it. Uh, if, if, someone, if, if someone gave you a gift and you start to pull out your wallet and say, hey, how much do I owe you for this gift? Then it's not a gift. In fact, you're probably, you're probably insult the person that's giving you the gift. So, no, I didn't, I didn't expect anything from you. I had no, no strings attached. This is a gift. And that's what he did for us. He gave us a gift. He canceled the debt of sin in your life. Canceled the debt. Think about this. If the bank calls you up tomorrow and says, hey, we noticed that you have a mortgage and you still got 15 years of your payment, but you know what? We decided to be generous. And to cancel your debt, you are forgiven of your payments, forgiven of your debt. Will you be excited about that? You'd be like, really? Would, would you say, no, thank you? No, I don't know anybody that would say that. You would like, yeah, thank you so much. That's what Jesus did. See, we were bankrupt. We were too poor. We were too poor to pay. But God was too rich not to give. And he gave and canceled the debt. We have to receive the gift, not something you earn. The Bible says that all you have to do is confess your sins, cry out to God and ask him and simply invite him into your life. Ask him to come into your Lord, be your Lord and Savior. I remember when I was seven years old, on a Tuesday night, I got on my little knees before bed in my bedroom and I asked Jesus to come to my life. I simply cried out to him and said, God, come to my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want you to be my savior. And from that moment, 
Jesus came into my life. I became a child of God, and that was my moment. My question for you, have you ever asked Jesus to come into your life? Have you ever asked Jesus to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior? In fact, maybe a question I like to ask people is, what is your defining moment? Your defining moment. Think about that. Your defining moment with Jesus. Can you remember that time where you asked Jesus to come to your life? I mean, think about it. Life is full of defining moments. There was a defining moment when my wife and I got married. I didn't wake up one day and all of a sudden I'd see Karen in the bedroom with me. I'd say, hey, what's going on here? What's happening? And Karen would say, yeah, I think we got married. Really? We got married? How'd that happen? I don't know. It just happens. And that's not true because Karen and I, on December 22nd, 2001, in front, of, in front of a couple hundred people, we had a defining moment where we said, I do. That was our defining moment for marriage. Kids, we didn't just wake up one morning and, 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 and in the middle of the night and we started hearing crying out of another room and, and, and Karen wakes me up because I'm deaf. I wouldn't have woke her up. I wouldn't have heard the crying, but she was like, Scott, I hear a baby next door. What is happening? I don't know. And we go next door and we see a little baby. I said, it must be our baby. How did this happen? Who knows? Look like our baby. It has our likeness. That's great. That's not how it happened. We had a defining moment. A defining moment where I saw our kids born on a specific date at a specific time. A defining moment. Question is this. Do you have a defining moment with Jesus? Because Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He had a defining moment where he shook the world, broke the sleeper hold of Satan, and became victorious, an overcomer for you and for me. In just a minute, if you've never had that defining moment with Jesus, wouldn't it be great that on Easter Sunday, April 4th, 2021, wouldn't it be great that today, you say, you know what, today's my day. Today, today, I ask Jesus to come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. With heads bows and eyes closed, this is God, you were talking to me I've been in the stranglehold of sin, and today I realize that there is freedom if I come to Jesus. And today, I want to make that decision. The Bible says that all we have to do is cry out to him, to pray to him. You can do it right where you're at. You can ask Jesus into your heart. You can ask him to become your savior right there. And I call it the sinner's prayer. I say a few words. You can just repeat it quietly in your heart. But God is listening. He's in this moment. He's here. You can pray this prayer that says, Dear God, I am a sinner. And today I recognize the fact that I need Jesus. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Break the stranglehold of sin in my life. 
I want to live in victory the rest of my days. Take me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name. No one's looking, no one's looking, but he says, God, I've never done that before. But today I ask Jesus to come to my heart. I ask him to be my savior, to be my Lord and savior. If you've never done that before, we simply raise your hand. I want to look, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but he said, God, I prayed, I asked Jesus in my life. Is there anyone like that at all in this room? Our heavenly father, we thank you that we have freedom and victory through your son, Jesus. We thank you for Easter and Resurrection Sunday. God, we thank you that you're still saving lives today. 